In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. The scriptures that we have today bring us into one of the, the paradoxes or the central tensions of the Christian life. On the one hand, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and the new life that is in Jesus Christ is an absolute and complete gift. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. The way of being Christian, that the, the tradition that we stand in, the, which is of the Anglican Church, which is a Catholic Church that has received the Reformation, and one of the great principles of the Reformation was this focus on this central truth of the Bible, that we're saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited, unearned favor. We've saved, we're saved by grace, not by anything that we do, but by God's gratuitous mercy, by His goodness, by His undeserved, indeed, His precious, costly, and undeserved love, which is, which is held out to us in Jesus Christ the Lord. We're saved by grace, and how do we receive this great gift, the gift of new life in Jesus Christ the Lord, the gift of God's very self in the person of His Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we receive that? Well, we receive it in faith. We, we reach out and we, we lay hold of it with trust and belief. We welcome it welcome Him into our lives. And He comes not because of anything that we have done, but become, He comes because it's of His nature to seek and search us out with sacrificial love. So it's a complete gift. It's a complete gift. You, what, what do you need to do? You need to receive it. It's a complete gift. And on the other hand, it's a call to absolute holiness. Be perfect, the Lord says, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And in the gospel today, he reminds us of what the calling is to us in Jesus Christ the Lord. You're the salt of the earth. Salt preserves, it gives flavor. You're the light of the world. You're to this was always the vocation of Israel, and we're the new Israel, which was that they were so to live towards God and so to live towards each, each other, and so to live in this Ten Commandments way, the, what, what, uh, what our Jewish and brothers and sisters would say, to live the Torah life with His commandments to love God and to love neighbor with all our, 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 our strength, our soul, and our mind. And our, and our neighbors as ourselves, to do that in such a way that it's light in a dark world. And people say, you must really know who God is. Tell us who God is, that we might also know Him and love Him and come to serve Him. So on the one hand, it's an absolute and complete gift, but on the other hand, we're called to a, a life of, uh, a disciplined life, a life that is a self-giving and a sacrificial life, and a life that strives for holiness, that strives for sanctity. When I was in seminary, I 
was taking a class, and the class was on what's called ecclesiology. And ecclesiology is that portion of theology that has to do with the doctrine of the church. So how do you know whether, you know, how do you know whether the church is the true church or not? What, what are the marks of the church? These are the kinds of things that are talked about in a class like that. And the teacher in that class, who was an uh, Episcopal priest and a theologian, said that he had been in an ecumenical gathering one time, talking about the doctrine of the church and different speakers from different traditions, Roman Catholic, Evangelical, and Greek Orthodox. And the Greek Orthodox priest was speaking about the marks of the church and what you needed to be the real church. And our teacher said that at the end of his talk, you know, the Episcopal priest got up and he said, you know, Father, I'm listening to you. If I understand what you're saying, you don't really think that we, in our church, that we're the true church, that we're really part of the church. And the Orthodox priest thought for a moment, he stroked his beard, he fingled the uh, icon of the Mother of God that he had around his neck, and he said, this church of yours, he says, this church of yours, does it produce saints? If it produces saints, it's a real church. Well, we do produce saints. Every church where the gospel is faithfully preached and where the sacraments are rightly administered and where there's fellowship of the power of the Holy Spirit that brings us closer to each other as we draw closer to Christ. Every church like that produces saints. And you know saints. You've had these saints in your life. You've had these people who, they, they, they were luminous in some way with the love of God and the love of their brothers and sisters. They weren't, they weren't perfect. The saints are never perfect. I remember Mother Teresa being interviewed one time by the BBC, and the BBC interviewer, who was obviously a very secular person, asked her about her weekly routine. And she said, well, you know, and on Tuesdays, I, I go to confession. And he was shocked. He said, you know, you're Mother Teresa. What, do you, what can you possibly confess? And she said, ask the sisters I live with. The, the saints are not perfect. Um, but they, somehow the love of God comes through them to us and touches us in such a way that it changes our life. And you've had people like that in your life. You can think of them. Even now, you can think of them. I think of the uh, priest that sponsored me for ordination, Father Watson. He had a lot of faults. He wasn't perfect in any way, shape, or form. You just wanted to be near him. You just wanted to be close to him. You just wanted to sit in his presence. There was a warmth, there was a radiance, there was a light that, that came out of him. The Roman Catholic Church has an official way of making saints. They just made a saint out of, uh, out of uh, uh, Cardinal Newman, John Newman, who was uh, a priest in the Church of England became, before he became a Roman Catholic priest. Well, his sanctity was recognized when he was uh, uh, a priest and an English priest and a professor at Oxford. And, and John Newman, if you read his letters, writes about the professor of poetry, an Anglican priest who was the professor of poetry. His name was John Keeble. And John Keeble ignited by a sermon that he gave in 1833 the movement, which is called the Oxford Movement or the Anglo-Catholic Movement, of which this cathedral is a product. And Newman, and Newman was in awe of Keeble's 
sanctity. I have a picture of Keeble on my, on my desk. And you look at the face, and there's a luminous, there's a luminosity, there's light, the light of Christ. You are the light of the world. There are these great saints. There are these great saints, but there are also more quiet ones. And it's, it's a very, it's a very rare thing to not come across them at all, and it's a great thing to have eyes to see it when you do. And if you want to grow in the Christian life, you find somebody like that, and you draw close to them. This cathedral is a product of the Anglo-Catholic movement. There was a Catholic revival in the Church of England. And what were they trying to do? Well, the, the church was in danger of just becoming a kind of a, the moral department of the society. And they wanted to recover a sense of the church as the body of Christ. And they wanted to recover the consciousness amongst the clergy of their high calling and of the high standards of prayer and study and personal holiness, which they were being called to. Why? So they would be God's instrument for making a holy people. Jesus Christ has come, Titus tells us, to make a holy people for himself, zealous for good works. Now the the, uh, the Anglo-Catholic movement, which so inspired Bishop Doan, who built this cathedral, stressed the, the church as a sacred reality, the body of Christ, stressed the real presence of Christ in the sacraments, stressed the high calling of the clergy, stressed the necessity of being faithful in teaching and preaching the doctrine of the apostles, and they stressed the quest for holiness. And they warned against this thing that St. Paul warns his protege Timothy against. He says, stay away from those people who have the form of godliness. They have the form of godliness, but not the power thereof. The heart is not on fire. They've not surrendered themselves completely to Jesus Christ. They have not been overtaken and overcome with his love such that it overflows from them into the world. We have a reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians today, and St. Paul starts out his letter to the Corinthians, to the saints, to the hagioi, to the saints, the holy ones that are in Corinth. Then you read the letter and you find out what's going on in that church, and it doesn't sound very holy at all. But yet this is what he's saying to them. By virtue of your baptism, by virtue of identifying yourself with Jesus Christ, you are called to sanctity. You're called to holiness. You're called to be the salt of the earth. You're called to be the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We're called to be absolutely conformed to the humanity of the Savior. St. John says this, he says, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but when he appears, we will be like him. And so to start becoming like him now, that's the calling of a Christian. Be perfect, and he was perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How is it possible? How is it possible? We heard the high standard that is put in front of us this morning. How is it possible 
It's not humanly possible. It's only possible by God's grace. It's only possible by receiving a gift. Holiness is produced by love, and it has the shape of love, the cruciform love of Jesus Christ. Holiness comes from love, from the love of the cross. And love comes from thanksgiving, from gratitude, for seeing how great our need is and how great his gift is. And gratitude comes from proximity. And proximity comes from a diligent practice and use of the ordinary means of grace, coming here week by week, having some little Bible reading every day, having some little form of prayer every day, really looking assiduously to walk in the good works that God has prepared for, walk in, for us to walk in, and then being open to the Holy Spirit as He leads us into uh, greater things, into greater things. Yeah, and I was listening to Mother Teresa talking one day, and she often talked to very affluent people, and she was often asked, you know, well, what should we do? What should we do? How, where, where do we begin? And she would say, you have a husband, smile. You have a wife, smile. You have children, uh, smile. So, dear brothers and sisters, we're called to absolute holiness. We're called to be the light of the world. Simone Weil, the French philosopher, said, the world needs saints like a plague-stricken city needs doctors. And the call is to you, and the call is to me. And how do we do it? We do it by God's grace, by His power working in us, which can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. So let us pray to God to have not only the form of religion, not only the form of godliness, but by His grace to be so identified with His Son that we have not only the form of godliness, but the power thereof, and our salt and light in the world. Amen.